And uh, we're excited as we, we're wrapping up this sermon series, and uh, it's basically on uh, dealing with our heart and the bad habits that can creep into our heart, whether that would be anger, whether that would be guilt and shame, and today we're going to get into what guilt, not just guilt, but uh, what, uh... Claudia, what are we talking about today? Envy, yeah, 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 envy. <laughs> it's been a long day. Okay, <laughs> let's pray. I think we're going to need it. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, just uh, a beautiful day. Thank you for worship that has just been amazing. Uh, thank you for this place, this very special place, Lord, uh, that we, um, we just surrender to you. Lord, help, help us all realize how important it is to reach out to our friends and that those that are struggling in life and let them know that uh, there's hope in Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So greed, I think that's what we're talking about today, greed and envy. Anger says, you owe me. Guilt says, I owe you. Greed says, I owe myself. And it really is a habit that, if we're not careful, can get our hearts. This morning, we're going to actually look at the stronghold of greed and a biblical approach to tear down the wall of self-centeredness. And uh, to help me preach this morning is uh, one of my dear friends, Claudia Mitchell, and I'd love for you to give Claudia a huge hand. Morning. I think it's because I taught first grade that I have to have something with me, some kind of paraphernalia when I teach. <laughs> Ken says I have more teaching bags at home than you can count. So, But I'm glad to be with you this morning. You know, there is a contagious disease going around right now. And it is very contagious. And it's very dangerous. It can destroy your health. It can ruin your relationships, and it pops out when you least expect it. I think it's called the gimmies. And boy, right now, you can see it everywhere. I, I'm going to tell you something now that's really shocking. But there are only 56 days left until Christmas. <sighs> Does that scare anybody but me? I don't even like to think about Christmas until after Thanksgiving, anyway. But we have a nation consumed with consuming. There will be over 150,000 toys, new toys, on the market in the next 56 days. How can anybody escape that? Time Magazine says the average American spends 13 spends $1,300 for every $1,000 they make. That's a yikes. We foster this gimme disease in children, especially around Christmas. We do it even in the question we ask them as Christmas is coming close. What is it that we ask our kids? What do you, what do you want? What is it that you want? We foster it. There's a book called Entitlement Trap by Richard Iyer, and he says, entitlement and greed is epidemic in children today. It's fostered by our demanding narcissistic society where wants are confused with needs and where everyone seems focused on what everyone else has. Oh, it's hard to hear. There's so much truth in it. You know, my four-year-old granddaughter and I were shopping at our favorite store. I don't know if I should...
brag about this or not, but I go to the Dollar Tree so much that I went in yesterday and I said, could I borrow a basket to take with me to church tomorrow? And they said, oh, sure, Claudia, go ahead and take it and bring it back on your day off. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't brag about that, but I love the Dollar Tree in London. Oh, my goodness, she loves it too. $2 can be at least a half hour with London in the dollar store. She still loves it, Dollar Tree. But we were shopping, and there was a, a sweet mama with her little one in a cart. And he had uh, toys, and she had given him some food to eat while they shopped around. So he had his mouth stuffed with candy, and he had toys in his cart. And as he was looking at all the toys, he kept saying over and over, more, more, give me more, give me, give me, give me more. He had his little hand out like this while he's saying, give me, give me, give me more. I said to London, oh, my gosh, that child has a bad case of the gimmies. And she said, yes, Nana, yes, he does. And so we kept looking, and then... I caught the gimmies. It's so contagious and so easy to catch. I mean, just a few minutes later, something happened to me at the dollar store that I haven't seen since. They had a table that said two for a dollar. Can you imagine? And so I started filling up my basket for London. Oh, London, look. Look, we'll get more Play-Doh. We'll get more of those, you know, parents, those crazy plastic toys that you buy the kids and they tear up in five minutes. Well, I was filling my basket with this, and all of a sudden, my darling London said, Nana, Nana, looked up at me with those big eyes. That's enough. I realized I had a big case of the gimmies, and I got it of all places at the dollar store. It's everywhere. Greed is supported by an endless cast of what-ifs, Andy Stanley says. Greedy people can never have enough to satisfy the need they feel in light of every conceivable eventuality. You know, we are stuffed with stuff. Look at that. The average household has over 300,000 things. Our United States children make up 3.7% of children on this planet, but they own 40%, 47% of all the toys and books in the United States, and actually in the world. Isn't that hard to hear? Americans spend $23 billion dollars on imported toys. Americans have 1.9 billion square feet of personal space and it's stored in 40,000 facilities. Americans have so much junk that there's 23,000 pieces of man-made junk orbiting the planet. Stuff we've just thrown away. It's fallen off of planes and I don't know how it gets up there but it's orbiting the planet at 17,000 miles an hour. And there'll be over 150,000 toys coming your way, everybody wanting to sell them to you in the next 56 days. Oh my gosh, it leads to greed and it leads to, en to envy deep within us. I love this book by Bob Sorge called Envy. I have a copy of it with me if anybody wants to borrow it. It's a, just a amazing look at what greed does to us on the inside. He says, the painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another with a desire to possess the same advantage is envy. You know, have you ever felt 
Has this ever happened to you? I, I can remember one morning, Ken and I having coffee on the porch of our, I, I, at the time, I said to Ken, beautiful home. I said, I just love this place and this place we live. It's so lovely. We enjoyed our coffee. And I went off to have lunch with my friend who just bought a new home in a new edition. And it was beautiful. Three stars. She took me on a tour of her house and all new things in a new house. And I came home to my house. I pulled up in the driveway and thought this, this place is a dump. <laughs> Have you ever thought that? So I remember saying to Ken, hey, Ken, would it be all right, would it not be coveting if I said, you know, God, I really would love to have a house like my friend. Would you just give her a bigger one? <laughs> Ken said, no, that still wouldn't count. But envy just creeps up on us. Bob Sorge said that there's sociologists who have termed um, a new term for Americans, and it's called limited to. And it's that the idea that Americans, all of us have, this idea that there's a limit to everything. There's only one CEO, CEO. There's only so many cheerleaders. There's only so much water and air and food and stuff to go around. And so we have to get ours. And it leads to a condition called limited two. I love the end of uh, Bob Sorge's book. He says the only way to get yourself rid of envy is to remember that God's love is boundless and his favor is limitless. There's plenty for everybody. But he suggests we have to tell ourselves that not every day, but almost every moment to avoid greed. So this is what happens. Envy and greed together, they begin to whisper in our heart and in our dark places, more, more, give me more. Give me, give me, give me more over and over in our lives until we have so much. You know, Jesus talked about this. And Luke tells a story about the moment that Jesus talked about greed, the gimmies, and bigger barns. And I imagine the scene started with a great crowd pressing in on Jesus. It reminds me of probably what we would see as a presidential press conference. You know, all those people pressing in, asking questions louder and louder. And one of the questions, by what I picture as a big, loudmouth, kind of rude guy, was asked Jesus. And I think a hush probably fell over the crowd as he said, Jesus, make my brother share his inheritance with me. And everyone got quiet, and the room got hushed as Jesus answered. And Luke talks about this in chapter 12 of his book. Then Jesus said to them, you know, I wondered, Jesus said to them, the disciples were there, a big crowd was there, but is it possible that those brothers were there standing together? I think so. I think Jesus looked at them, maybe even pointed to them. And he said this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Gimmies are every, no, he didn't say gimmies are every. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told him a story. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. 
letting him know from the beginning that this was not a bad guy, and stuff doesn't make you bad. It's the perspective over the stuff. He thought to himself, what shall I do? See what started to happen to him? He's getting selfish already. Look at all these eyes. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Have you ever noticed if you get something new for your house, then suddenly everything looks bad and you have to get something else new? Anybody? One time, um, I got a new couch for my living room. And I love this couch, but all of a sudden the carpet looked horrible with this new couch. So I had to have a new carpet, and I was so excited about it. Um, but if you know my husband, Ken, this won't surprise you. I came home from work one day to a surprise. Ken and my two boys, that, they're 22 months apart. This time they were in junior high. I came home, and the guys were all in the garage that was attached to our house that we'd made into a family room. And they were all in there to surprise Mom. And I went in, they said, surprise, Mom. And they had bolted a basketball goal to the top of the wall in my family room. And they were so excited. And there were like eight or 10 boys in there playing basketball, having a ruckus and a good old time in my family room, which became a basketball gym for years to come. Um, so anyway, the carpet finally came. And it was beautiful, and I was excited. And all these boys showed up at the door to, to play basketball. And, and Darren answered. And he said, hey, guys, I'm sorry. Take off your shoes. Mom got new carpet. All the guys took off their shoes, and they came in and said, oh, Darren, we're so sorry for you. <laughs> you know, stuff is just perspective. It's really all about perspective. Well, anyway, he wants a bigger barn. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus is not against fun and having a good time and partying. But again, it's all about your perspective. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it would be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Oh, my goodness. More, more. Give me more. Give me, give me, give me more. What's the antidote to that? What do we do about it? And Christmas is coming. And oh, my goodness, I've got to get some shopping done. And I've got to get something for London and Reese. And John, help us. We've got to get over the gimmies. So John's going to tell us how to do that. Here he is, all the way from Bloomington, Indiana. Give him a big... <laughs> you got a good clapper going in there. I think Claudia's had too much coffee. I can't have an amen. No. So I'd like you to take your scriptures and turn over to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. We're going to get that in just a moment. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. I just want to just take a few minutes and get into a biblical approach to this, uh, this really incredibly difficult thing that we go through called greed, and all of us have to deal with this. Years ago, and I know I'm getting old because years ago is 1987, uh, this is a famous movie speech, and it was from Wall Street. So some of you may remember this. Um, and the theme of it was, greed is good. 
Maybe you remember this. And the character uh, was Gordon Gecko. Here's what he said, standing in front of a room full of investors and stockholders. I am not a destroyer of companies. I'm a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies. Greed cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. Now, we can read that and we go, well, that's a movie. But really, did you listen to all of those statistics that Claudia gave about the storage bins all across the United States that are full? And the stress, let's be honest, that all of us are going to start going through as we approach the Christmas season. And again, what is the focus? Well, that's what we're here to talk about, how easy it is to allow greed to creep into our heart. Greed is not good in any way. Greed isn't good. And when it resides in your heart, greed is first cousins, jealousy and envy to live in your heart side by side. From the book, Enemies of the Heart, Annie Stanley said this, and this is so good. Greed knows no socioeconomic boundaries. I've known greedy poor people and greedy rich people. Greed isn't a financial issue. It's a heart issue. And that's what we want to get in today, that it truly is a heart issue. Matter of fact, if you listen to the words from our Lord, Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in its abundance of possessions. So I was thinking, as I was preparing for this message, what is it like to have your life and your heart completely consumed not by possessions, but by Jesus Christ. So I went through in the New Testament, and I found three folks, and you can see what happened to them when they gave their entire heart to Jesus Christ, because it can happen to us, and it's the answer to greed. The first one is John chapter 4, and I love this story. You've heard it many times. Uh, Jesus is traveling through Samaria. He has his disciples, and uh, this is enemy territory because he's in Samaria, and the disciples go to get food. It's noon. And Jesus goes through. It's called the well of Jacob. And Jesus goes to this well. Anybody remember who shows up? This random woman shows up. And she just assumes in that culture that no man is going to talk to her. But not only does a man talk to her, the Son of God talks to her. Well, she has all of these spiritual questions. And I love it. If you would go through that, she's just so curious about living water. And as they're talking, Jesus realizes that she really desperately needs hope. And in the midst of their conversation, I love this, Jesus says, you know what? And this is me paraphrasing. You know what? Let's continue this conversation. Why don't you go get your husband? She gulps. And then he goes, "Um, by the way, I already know. You have been married five times. And the man that you're going to go talk to, that's not your husband. Well, she knows that this must be a prophet. She said, you must be a prophet. And once again, she's just seeking hope. And I love what Jesus says, standing in front of you is the Savior. Wow. Now, there's someone whose heart was desiring Jesus Christ. And then, 
It's one of my favorite, and it, it's a funny story. It's in Luke 19. Any of you that ever grew up in children's church, you sang this really annoying song. And so let's sing it together. Zacchaeus was a... No, don't do anymore. I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved that part where Jesus, you come down, <laughs> gets me still. Okay. Love that. I think, I think Zacchaeus looked like Danny DeVito. I don't know. I think he's this little bitty guy and squatty and obnoxious. And I love what Jesus does because only Jesus does it this way. He looked up in the sycamore tree and he sees this look. I think he laughed. And he said, come on down here. And, and you can just see him just kind of waddling down a tree. And, and you know everybody's wanting to, you know, punch him, you know, because he's this chief tax collector. And Jesus is right there in front of him. Don't you love that? And he goes, Zacchaeus, hey, I'm going to go to your house for dinner tonight. And you can just see him waddling away, you know, like the penguin. You know, he, just, he can't wait to get there. Jesus shows up at his house. And, oh, my land, you just see this guy's heart is full of what? Hope in Jesus Christ. And then one of the most touching stories is found in Luke 10. It's the story of Mary and Martha. You know the story. Matter of fact, let me ask you a question. If Jesus was coming to your house for dinner tonight, what would you do as soon as church was over? What would you do? We would go crazy fixing our house up and, you know, like... Claudia would probably tear the basketball goal down. You know, I mean, I mean, everything would change because Jesus is coming. And then we'd be like, what's his favorite food? I got I to gotta run over. I got to get and make sure this is the best. So you read this story, and there's two sisters. There's Mary and Martha. And so many of us, we can relate to Martha. We're like, oh, yeah. I would be so stressed out. Well, it's interesting. When Jesus walks in the door for dinner... Martha's still working. Do you remember where the sister Mary was? I'm assuming it's the younger sister. Remember where she was? At the feet of Jesus. And can't you just see as an older sister, she yells out from the kitchen. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Jesus, seriously, look at her. How lazy can you be? I'm in here doing all the work. And you remember what Jesus said? She's chose the right thing. Now, if you really want your heart touched, do some more reading on Mary. There are three times that she's mentioned in Scripture. Luke 10, John 11, and John 12. And every time she's mentioned, do you know where she's at? She's at the feet of Jesus. It says when her brother Lazarus died, they said in the distance, she saw Jesus and she ran to Jesus. You remember what Martha was doing? She was chewing on Jesus. And what did she do? She fell at his feet. And then the most touching scene is when she's at the feet of Jesus and she breaks the alabaster jar. She takes and anoints his head and she anoints his feet. Mary, always at the feet of Jesus. Why? Her heart was full of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, five husbands living with the sixth man. I want you to think about Zacchaeus, this squatty little tax collector that nobody liked. And I want you to think about this younger sister, Mary. Three totally opposite personalities and backgrounds, but they had one incredibly significant uh, comparison if you look at their life and similarity. Anybody want to guess what it is? And this is the answer to greed. It's generosity. It's generosity. What happened to the woman? Because we know the rest of the story. The woman at the well, after Jesus walked away, do you remember what she did? She ran into town. She told everybody, the Savior is here. And then she told her story. 
He's here, and I know he's the Savior because he knew everything I've done. Now think about that. Looking around, I was like, guys, you know, I'm pretty popular with the guys. They're like, yeah, we know that. We know that. You had five husbands. You're living with it. Yeah. But no, seriously, he knows everything I've done, which means if he could forgive me, he can forgive you. And the entire town went after Jesus, and they begged him to stay. Generosity. She generously shared her story. All of you have a story. And some of your stories, you're like, I can't share that. It's too painful. Some of you are like, I'm embarrassed of my story. Don't be. You have no idea how powerful your story is. Generously share your story. And then Zacchaeus, I love it. Jesus comes to his house, and he is like, it's just overflowing his heart. And what's he do? Jesus, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor immediately. And the other money, anybody I've ripped off, four times the amount. Generosity. And Mary, oh, my land. Generosity. Her entire life was at the feet of Jesus. Her whole life was saying, I just want to surrender to him. Now, what about you today? Maybe some of you are battling exactly what we've been talking about, that it's deep inside you're thinking, man, I think about myself way too much. Well, it's all about giving. And it's all about giving because of what Jesus has done for us. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9, excuse me, 6 through 8 says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I mean, that's where generosity starts is you give because your heart is so full of Christ, it just flows over. It's not because somebody guilted you into giving. It's you give because what Christ has given you. And it's awesome when God gets our heart and does that. I read this story, and the reason I love it is it's not over the top. Uh, I can tell you it's hard in ministry because you're always looking for an over-the-top illustration. You know what I mean? So I wanted to tell a story of illustration about, you know, like the guy that came into church, and he fell in love with a minister, and he wrote a check for $2 million on the spot. You know, something like that, you know. But I, I thought I really wanted to find something like, this is just an act of generosity that is so real. I mean, I, I can see this guy. I can, I can feel the stress he's under. And then I want you to hear what he did because I thought this was so cool. It's 2017, so a year ago, Christmas season in Texas. This guy, uh, no men do this anymore, but he waited to the very end to start buying Christmas gifts. And so he's in a panic. And so he's trying to buy it all in one day. I guess the guy hadn't heard about Amazon. But anyway, he's buying it all in one day, running all around town. And uh, charging like crazy, he about wore the credit card out. At the end of a very long day, he pulls into Chicken Express. I guess they don't have Chick-fil-A in Texas. So he pulled into Chicken Express, the drive-thru, and in exhaustion, he, may, he places his order, and he hears the words, your credit card's been denied. That was not a good way to end the day. And then within a few seconds, he said, wait a second. Nope, somebody's already paid your bill. You can, you can come through the drive-thru. And so he's like, that's weird. 
you know. So he went, went through. Well, he couldn't get off his mind. So a few days later, he called the manager. He said, hey, a crazy thing happened. Uh, I found out my credit card actually froze because I was spending what, so much that flagged my credit card. That's why, so I want to come and pay somebody. I evidently paid for my meal. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. It's actually one of the youngest guy in the restaurant. He's working in the back. And he heard your credit card was froze. And he took his own credit card, ran up there, and zipped it as quick as he could. And he got this kid's thing. And he said, man, that is impressive. A couple months later, he thought, I'm going to have a gratitude meal for people this last year that just did some neat things for me. Now, again, the guy's not wealthy. He took him to Chicken Express for pizza. So anyway, he holds this little get-together, and he invited the kid's parents, and he invited some other folks, and he just treated them to, to a chicken meal at the Chicken Express. But he wanted to make sure that that young man was there, and he gave him a $50 gift card. But here's what I love. When he gave him the card, he said, don't stop being a good guy. Now, there's a young man that learned a very valuable lesson. Because let's be honest, it's not easy every day to be generous, is it? Because the world that we live in, aren't there days like, oh, my land. You want to pop someone, you know. Isn't it funny, like the season of giving, like Christmas? Have you ever looked at the men in the shop? Like, I look. Like, Claudia mentioned the Dollar General store, and she gets giddy. It just, it doesn't do that for me, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was in there about a year ago. It's around the Christmas season. I just started looking at the men's eyes, and they just had this look of, I want to die. I mean, that's... <laughs> so why do I share that? Because it's hard to be generous. It's hard to be generous until you step back and say, wait a second. Let me breathe. Jesus saved me. Here's where I was before Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus has done for me. And then out of that, out of our heart... We give because of what Jesus has done for us. That's how you overcome greed. You let Jesus take your heart, and out of your heart comes generosity. And then you just start giving.